Check one, two on the mic. Check, 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 check. Yeah. Nice. How's everyone doing today? It's Monday. What's going on? Get my microphone adjusted. So I figure I'd give you a presentation that I've given before. And this, the video you're about to watch almost got me fired. So let's kind of dive into it. I want to go through some of these topics that are near and dear to my heart, and that's pricing, because pricing leads to more revenue, which leads to more profit, which leads to more of a better business or a better life or whatever you want it to do. Profit is a key, and don't be afraid of profit. So let's, um, I'm, I'm slightly kidding about the, this presentation that I'm I've given this presentation before, and it almost got me fired. The context I did it in was not good. I uh, I gave this in front. Of, I gave this presentation in front of my. Uh, I was the low man in the totem pole. I gave this in front of the executive team and the sales team, and I had nothing to do. I was not an exec, and I was not in sales, and I was. So you're gonna watch this slideshow and be like. Yeah, Jordan, you probably shouldn't have been talking about that. Or like, I feel like maybe that thing about it, I was probably like led into a trap. Was I led into a trap or was I just so arrogant that I knew this? Uh, I was like, I'd had such a burning desire to share this information with people that I didn't care what it cost me politically in the office. I just like, this is important. I think we can improve from this. In my naivete, maybe all good ideas float to the top. So here, let me just kind of spit out this good idea. Somebody take credit for it. It doesn't have to be me. I don't care. Um, but today we're going to talk about how to price your creative work. It's a, uh, we're keeping it a little general. Um, I'm, I'm normally kind of focused really hard on wedding photographers specifically, but the lessons that we're going to talk about today apply to videography, graphic design, uh, other genres of photography. But if you're a wedding photographer, you can sit right here and enjoy this work because this is going to give you better insight, better perspective. And oh, let me just kind of get to the goal. Um, the goal I have for this is that you understand the flaws with your certain pricing models. I'm going to kind of like, I'm going to list a few of the known pricing models that are out there, like what we kind of consider normal and poke holes in that, kind of give you some alternatives that you can test out and and then you know kind of that way you can also watch this passively and reflect like hmm, what am i doing in my own business and jordan seems to be shitting on how i'm pricing my work maybe i'm doing it wrong so um this is a mint for you a little bit of understanding some new facts and figures hopefully and then We'll go right into, you know, and then hopefully you have some reflection from this, either watching the video or after the video. That's that's my goal. That is my goal for this video. So let's kind of get into it. Thank you. for oh, First, thank you guys for watching. If you are watching the live stream. Hello. How's it going? My name is Jordan P. Anderson. Before we get started, hit the like and subscribe button, whatever the YouTube stuff wants us to do today. And these days. Yeah, just hit it. So the book and this was I'm right. I should have done like a 2019 book, like pricing creativity got this book. This book was the best book I read in 2019. And I don't recommend it for everybody. And I say it was the best book when I, but really, I really think about it. It was, it was the right book for me at the right time in my life to read it. And that's what made it. It's a good book. It is a great book. It's a fantastic book, but it just, ha you know, sometimes just when things just hit you in the right place at the right time, uh, it all just kind of falls into place. This book right here, Win Without Pitching Manifesto. Um, I might even do, I have a couple copies of these. I might do a giveaway of these soon one day. Um, but this book kind of started me off on the journey uh, and then it kind of worked more into, I was like, oh, cool. He's got a sequel. He was on The Future with Chris Doe. Um, and I was like, I got to find out more about this, about this guy specifically, but this concept of value-based pricing um, that you don't have to bill by the hour that you don't even really have to bill by like a flat fee. There are other ways to bill. Uh, there are other ways to price your work. And uh, me coming from the video production world, it's all about day rate. It's all about hourly rate. And uh, it just kind of started to suck. Like, like, and more the more me realizing, and especially me working at video editing, I realized that I was getting faster and faster and faster at video editing, and people were paying me by the hour. So... I was making less money and there was a weird tendency or like I wanted to cheat the system and work slower 
or it's like hourly billing, hourly hourly pricing, your hourly rate puts you in a weird position because you have to be very you have to you should be honest in how you do your business, but there's that like kind of friction between I want to get paid what I'm worth. And this job I thought was going to take 10 hours only took two hours. So that means I'm only getting two hours worth of work instead of times 10. It's now times two. So I'm making way less than I thought I was going to make. Uh, should I just kind of fudge my hours here? And that's like, like you don't want to be in that position. That's not a good position to be in. You don't want to have, like, we want to be ethical. We want to be moral. We want to be good people, good citizens. Uh, you don't want to feel like you're having to lie to your client or like fudge the numbers. Uh, so it's like hourly bill. You know, a great thought experiment is if you are now if you run an hourly billing company, if you are a photographer, if you are an editor, you want a slower computer because a slower, crappy old computer is going to run slower and therefore it's going to take you longer to edit. That if you have a faster computer, that means you can fat you can export quickly. You can upload quickly it's like you don't you don't want that because it means you're gonna work less time and make less money uh i should do a whole video on i I wrote a blog article your hourly your hourly rate is killing you i'm gonna do that very soon so but let's get into this so this is price and creativity it's a uh it stand this book stands on the shoulders of giants of other pricing gurus um and those pricing gurus can't come to my name, my head right now. But this book, if you want to check it out, it's in the link below. Um, recommend you check it out. So, like I said, the goals is to understand the flaws with certain pricing models and reflect on your own way of pricing. Within most organizations, uh, freelance, entrepreneurs, small business, medium-sized business, corporations, there are two models that are always at they're kind of always in, at battle. And the two models are innovation versus versus efficiency. So let's talk about innovation first. So innovation, what do we think of innovation? We think of, it is a very, innovation is a great process. It's a very creative process, but with that creativity becomes trial and error, research and development. There's failure, there's inspiration, there's new ideas. It is a very time-consuming effort you know think of any large company uh, you know how many iphones were there or how many iphone prototypes did they have to go through in the research and development department before they came out with the iphone and said this is the iphone and that takes a lot of money and you know and if you are a manager if you are a stern business person and you're trying to manage the resources and people and time and money that's being put into a project you are kind of, you know, you can pump as much as you want into innovation, but you start to kind of, you want the ideas like we can't be as, we can't be super innovative, although that's where a lot of profit can come from. Innovation can kind of fight against us because we are, it seems like we're wasting time or there's the potential that time could be wasted because, you know, sometimes you make an innovative idea or you come up with some new cool strategy or you do a new video technique or you try, you're trying something new in Lightroom that you've never done before or in After Effects and it fails or it looks terrible and you wasted a day learning how to do it, spent another day editing it and putting it together and it just didn't work. So that's like, that would be, is you know, in a manager's mind, that's time wasted. But to the person who did it, maybe it's learn, it's a learning opportunity. Uh, but in a client, Sometimes in a client scenario, you don't really want to be super innovative, or sometimes you do want clients to be super innovative. So that's like the fight that you have. So innovation leads to new products, which means finding. And if you have a current business model, and this was the rub that I had at the company I worked for, the current business model is status quo. You're, you know, a lot of managers, a lot of middle managers are fighting the status quo and maintaining the status quo. They want to keep everything the same. And innovation comes in and says, well, okay, instead of us doing video production, what if we did like video marketing consulting and did like Facebook ads with it? It's like, okay, that's great. That's an innovative iteration of video production. You're kind of making us a full stack marketing agency. 
Well, now that means we have to go find a new market to sell this product, to sell this bundle of things. Before, we were just selling our status quo, video production, video production. You know, here it is. You know, we got the template and we're just stamping it every time. It's a, a copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. The business model gets more and more efficient. And if you come in and say, let's be super innovative and let's change it up and let's give people new jobs and new roles and new ways to, and let's bring in some new people to, and to, you know, that's, that means that we now have to figure out how to, we have to re, you're basically like rebuilding a business model, um, which sometimes in organizations is the right thing to do. You want to, maybe your industry is dying or maybe what you were doing, like event videography, like I was doing, it's kind of dead right now, or it's kind of, it has to change so like it there has to be that divergence or that you know we have to the fork in the road we can't keep doing the old thing that we've been doing we have to start innovating and adding new products and start looking for new customers because the product we are selling is not in demand anymore or the customers that we have or the clients that we have are dying out fading out not so much interested in what we have to offer that's innovation now let's talk about efficiency. This is where your middle managers come in. This is where your supervisors come in, your producers, uh, the managerial OCD part of your brain as an entrepreneur. Productivity, time tracking, cost reduction, utilization rate. If you've ever been in a, maybe some small businesses do this. I, the, the small company I worked at in Baton Rouge, they started to do this towards the end of the time I was there where you're filling out timesheets or some some clients even want to know your timesheets. They want to know, um, especially large clients. If you're working at a small business or a medium or a large corporation, um, some clients that you work for want you to report their hours. Um, so there comes like, okay, everyone's got to, we got to be as efficient as possible. We got to track our hours. Everyone has to track their time. And it gets very like tedious. And it's like, especially if you're a salary position, like I was, you're just, at the same job every day, nine to five, you know, what'd you do last Tuesday? You didn't track your hours. I was here nine to five. What, what do you want? Like what's, what information are we going to get from knowing that I was here from nine to five? It's just, did you work on this for 40 hours or 35 hours? I, I don't know what well, we need to know. Cause we need to have a better sense of how we can estimate projects. And I agree to that some extent that has to happen a little bit. Um, but productivity Efficiency is focused on productivity. Like we have to do the product, we have to render the service as fast as possible in the most efficient way with the lowest amount of money. Like how much can we shave off this? Okay, you know, like you think like you have a, a book here. Okay, can we make the pit? Can we make the book smaller? Make less ink? Can we take? Can we do a lower quality paper here? Because um, you know, let's let's cut costs. Okay, let's not use FedEx. Let's use UPS. Let's use um, instead of color print, let's do black and white print because it's cheaper. And you, that's like you're starting to get lower and lower and lower in your cost to kind of because that's the only way you can kind of hold on to your profit or like this. This efficiency model usually happens, uh, usually occurs with a lot of commodity uh, products where it's very fungible, it's very replaceable. You can't really tell the difference. So um, we have to get our product as low as it can be shave the price down as low as it can uh, because our profits, our, our margins are so low as it is that we, you know, we're really focused on instead of, and this, and I'll kind of talk a little bit more about this, but this is where you start to see the fight. Like innovation comes in and they want to waste a lot of time and research and R&D and then efficiency comes in and says, we got to do this quicker. We got to do this faster. Uh, research and playing around and experimenting is a waste of time. According to the timesheet, what would you do? You spent 40 hours wasting time here. That I don't see any money. I don't see any profit here. I just see research. What does that mean? What do we, what do we get out of this? Utilization rate is how effective your, uh, it's basically like how effective your workforce is, how effective is your team, your employees are, you know, they have 40 hours of work available and how much did they work in those available 40 hours? And you just divide that and say like, okay, that's your, if I worked 20 hours out of the 40 hours I was available, I had a 50% utilization rate. It's again, it's just another manager, middle manager statistic that they use to kind of, I say it's just kind of to, to justify their job. I don't like middle managers. 
All right. So with any business model, you have to choose one. You have to either, you cannot choose efficiency and innovation at the same time. You either have to fully commit to, we're going to create new and innovative products all the time, dump a lot of money into research and development, or we're going to just really focus on being as efficient as possible. You can be Ferrari, or you can be, uh, no, no, let's not use car companies. Let's, let's keep with the Apple. So you can, be, you can be Apple and say, we're going to make innovative products uh, all the time. We're going to constantly be pushing the envelope, even though you can make the argument Apple doesn't really push the envelope that much. That's the difference. But just kind of go with me on the, on the brand standpoint, the brand case study that Apple is constantly pushing, making more innovative stuff. Whereas a company like Nokia, which makes like old phones, old flip phones, they don't really care about being super innovative. They're probably more worried about like, how do we get our supply chain and our source material as cheap as possible so we can make the most profit off this one little, you know, crappy dumb phone that we're going to, a flip phone that we're going to try to sell. So that's the kind of difference. Nokia cannot decide to, I mean, they can, they can start to, hey, we're going to move towards innovation or Apple in some degree when they're done innovating, they start to look at how we can make our business model as efficient as possible. But then they and the more efficient they become, the less, you know, then they start to say, well, we have to track everyone's time. We can't spend as much money in research, which ends up stagnating the product, which means that you're not as innovative as, as you were, um, which could be, which could kill you in your industry. If your industry is moving very fast, especially in the digital world, um, and you really want to focus on efficiency, you might be, you know, signing your own suicide note. So here's kind of the difference. Uh, so this is customized versus productized service. And in the book, Blair Inns talks about basically a customized service is I'm working with a couple clients. Usually the, if you think of this like a life coach, a business coach, a consultant, a marketing strategist. This is a customized service where I say, hey, it's just a couple of us. We only have a couple clients. Um, and every project that we do is completely different, completely new based on the client and their needs. Whereas a productized service, and there's, and I'm not, it's not saying that there's anything wrong with these models, but I'd say like, as we kind of go down the list, you'll kind of see the ad advantages, disadvantages. Productized service means that um, for, let's say it's a wedding photographer that just has a bunch of it's a wedding photographer who has a bunch of other smaller wedding photographers under them, and they just kind of act as a network. They just they spend they don't spend as much time shooting the wedding. They spend more time managing and hiring other freelance wedding photographers to work for them, um, and they just kind of create the same product over and over. It's very copy paste. Let's scale this up as much as we can. I've actually I worked for a company like that, or I worked for a, a guy like that one time where. Um, I was the I was just a remote freelance videographer for a wedding. I would go shoot, you know, I would shoot for him and I would send him a thumb drive of all the footage and that was it. And then I, he went and sent all his footage to like be edited in India or something like, you know, like everything was outsourced. He outsourced everything where he was just, you know, so that that to me was like, that's a productized service. You're just, it's basically the same thing. So let's kind of go through this list on. Let's start with customized services firms, eight to 12 clients, very mint, like not a big Rolodex of clients. They focus on value-based pricing, usually have high margins, big profit. Uh, it's more of a consultative sale as opposed to, um, we're not, it's less, think like less Facebook ads and pop-up ads and more like um, long phone calls where you're getting the details of every problem that the company or the client is facing and you're kind of wanting to kind of walk through those problems to figure out a game plan to solve it. Uh, culture of innovation. Hey, we're always changing. What if we sold video production that's always sold? Can we add on something to make it more spicy? Can we add on something that make us more profitable or make it more impactful for the client? They scale through client size. Instead of trying to get as many customers as possible, they are more focused on just getting bigger and bigger fish in the pond. Team selling, uh, it's very like, hey, we're all here. This is my creative director. I'm the executive. I'm the CEO. This is my uh, marketing director. The three of us, let's talk. Let's figure out your problems. Let's go through a little consultation. Um, 
And then exit, we don't have to talk about exit. Productized services, that is hundreds of clients. And this is the case for the company that I work for. They had, I think we had like 400, three to 400 revolving clients at all times. And and it was, and we were just selling copy paste, same video product over and over. Not very creative. The demands on us weren't being very creative. It was just kind of copy paste, copy paste. Um, Yeah, come in. Shoot the CEO saying a few words on the teleprompter. We want a gray background with a light behind it. He's going to be wearing a suit, lapel mic. He says something, and then at the very end, when he says "thank you for watching," just show the logo. That was, you know, that was a lot of the videos that we sold. Um, it's cost-based pricing. So we cost-based pricing is you are focused on the materials and time that you put into it. Okay, our rental fee, our hourly rate of our employees cost us much, plus our overhead that's going to be uh $250 an hour you need us for 2 hours cool that's 500 bucks very transactional kind of sale um this would be a facebook ads kind of driven uh where i don't really i'm just and, and i'm probably generalizing with facebook ads when i say facebook ads i just mean like a large scalable maybe even like google search ads just a large scalable thing where it's just you're just blasting out big advertising to anyone who hopefully is kind of in the target audience and maybe some people convert um they're they are super focused on a culture of efficiency and that was the that was 100 it was all about like tracking your time being as efficient as possible because we're doing the same thing this we're making basically the same video over and over and over can we get faster at this can we put this on a who's done this project before okay let's put it on him he's better everyone on the team was replaceable um, it was not, there was no personalized style or no focus on strengths or weaknesses. It was just like, if you can work Monday, you're working Monday. And if you can't work on Monday, we're going to replace you with somebody else who can work on Monday. And then you're going to pick it up on Tuesday and they're going to go back on a different project. Everyone was constantly, there was a middle manager heaven where you could just swap out your employees for whatever you wanted. And no one was really valued because everyone's all the same and we're just creating the same product over and over. It's just a factory. Basically who cares? So that, and then it was a team of salespeople. There was a sales department, which, uh, so there was, so the people selling the video, talking with the clients had no video production experience. It was just about, you know, can we close the sale? Do we have a deal? I feel like I'm shitting on this, on this company I used to work for, but this was kind of the, the spawn of this. This was the spawn of my quest for finding information. I was like, there has to be a better way than, than this model that they're, they're operating on. So now let's get into some pricing models. And before we get into that, uh, I want to talk about my pricing model and some of the things I'm trying to, I want, I want you guys to check out. I'm going to switch it over here, head over to the perfect wedding package before we get into pricing models. If you want to figure out your prices, if you're unsure, if you're a wedding photographer, if you're a wedding videographer, and the price conversation is just a little bit unbearable, or you just kind of you made a price sheet a couple years ago and you haven't changed it or you're afraid to raise your prices, this this guide right here gives you the confidence to raise your rate. I believe that if you go through the perfect wedding package that you can double your revenue. I believe you can double your revenue if you just follow the few steps that are in this guide. And of course, with the guide, you get also a personalized pricing consultation with me where we go through, I can look at your price sheet. I can We can talk about your sales process where we can improve where we can get better and how you can have better conversations with your clients so that they'll say yes to the big dollar item as opposed to saying yes to the $200 item. We want you, we want you to try to sell the five to $10,000 wedding as opposed to just selling, you know, the $1,500, $2,000 wedding. Maybe that's even too high for you at this point. So let's go, let's raise those prices. Let's raise our revenue. Let's earn a little bit more profit in the year 2021. Head over to theperfectweddingpackage.com, check it out, watch the trailer, and enjoy. Now, let's switch back over to pricing models. Okay, pricing models. So, in the book, Blair talks about AGI over FTE, and what does AGI stand for? I at first thought it meant adjusted gross income, but it actually means agency gross income, and I didn't want to spread that. I had to double-check this because I did not want to spread that... uh, misnomer that it was not adjusted gross income it's agency gross income so just the gross income of the entire firm of your entire business 
uh, the company that you work for, the entire, all the money that they make in a big, on, on the revenue side, divided by the amount of full-time employees, the basically the headcount or the full-time equivalent. Um, so if it's just me, am I, and you know, I'll tell you about my journey. I'm trying to get to six figures, my journey to $100,000. If it was just me and I made $100,000 divided by one is $100,000. If it's a company of $10 million and there are 10 employees, then you guys are killing it. And everyone, the, the, the ratio is a million dollars because it's a million dollars per headcount. Um, and there are, based on the type of approach you take, um, if you do a cost-based kind of pricing model where you just factor in the time and materials that you're, that you're operating with and you factor that into your price, usually the average is 160000 But if you move into the value-based pricing world, that's when your profits start to really rise up, really soar, and the average there is about 275000 for some firms. And here's kind of a graph to check it out. So as you see, this is kind of the bell curve of cost base. Usually it's kind of this middle chunk right here, the kind of, so, you know, based on, and this applies, you know, that's why it's a, it's a ratio because some firms have a hundred people, some firms have 10 people, some firms are just one person. Um, and the average usually falls in here, but if you kind of, if we shift to value-based pricing, then our average typically goes up in the aggregate. So let's talk about three pricing models. Uh, this was, yeah, let's let's kind of go. Let's go to the first one. The first pricing model, and whether or not you are whether or not you are familiar with these names, you are probably familiar with these concepts. So the first pricing model, basically how you price your work, how you set your rates. The first one is, I think, the novice, and what we all fall to at the very beginning is time and materials. It's very literal. It's very, I worked on this for 10 hours, so it, I want 10 hours of work, and my computer cost $1,000, so that cost, you know, so 1,000 times 10 hours of work, that is my, that's what goes into the business. That's, this is how I'm going to determine my rate. My rent is $2,000. My rent is $1,000 here on, in this rural place. I'm going to charge this much, and my time is worth this much. It's, it's very, it's very spreadsheet friendly. Um, and this is where it's kind of like, that's why it's so easy because you can just kind of do it on the back of a napkin. And that's where people kind of have fun. You know, they say like, okay, my rate's this, there's my time, uh, my expenses. So what the issue is, and let's talk about issues now. With time and materials, you your client takes on all the risk. They are saying, and you two are making the agreement that if this doesn't take a lot of time, then I'm then me as the client, I'm not going to pay that much. But if we find that this project drags on or it wasn't we we've underestimated our hours, then I'm taking on the risk as the client. And it, and essentially, like when you sign the contract as a client, you don't know how much you're going to pay, and that's very strange. So if you go like imagine going to a store and there were no prices. And then you got to the checkout, you stuck your credit card in and you said, yes, okay. And then, and then you saw the total and you go, wait a minute, holy shit, I didn't mean to pay for that. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know it was that expensive. That is the problem with time and materials. It's, I, I think I said this before, it's, it's cooking with, it's, cook, it's baking a cake. And I, I'm, I'm stealing the saying, it's baking a cake with the smoke alarm. Now just imagine that, you bake a cake with smoke and using the smoke alarm as your way to gauge your, you know, how good you did. If you, the smoke alarm goes off, you have completely failed. So it's just, it's a lagging, that's the problem with it. It's kind of, it's a lagging result. Um, I'm hoping I'm not going to step on anything. Oh, so another thing with time and materials is that, switch over here. Another thing, another problem with time and materials is it's, a la you know, the same with what I just said with the cake metaphor, that it's a lagging measure. So in the, this is the problem I had at the job I had. It was, they wanted us to do timesheets, but the, it was never addressed or timesheets or clocking in and out is a very lagging. It's an, it's a post op, what am I saying? A post-mortem look at things. You know, if I've, if I've spent too many hours on something, if I spent a hundred hours 
over the last two weeks on a project and I was only supposed to spend 40. Well, you wouldn't know that until a couple, two or three weeks later when you go back as the manager and check the timesheet and go, holy shit, week one and two, Jordan worked 100 hours on this. He was only supposed to work 40. And and you go, great. Uh, now, as a company, we have to charge the client 100 hours when we thought we estimated we're only going to do 40 hours. So they're going to be pissed. We're us as the management company, as the managers, we're pissed at our employees because they work too much or you got to make sure you're managing everybody and, and make sure everyone clocks in properly and submits their hours by Friday because we got to know how much people are working on this stuff. If you're working too much on and it's like that's where it kind of doesn't make sense. You're like, you're punishing me for working on this too much. Like I'm not supposed to make this good or I'm supposed to you want me to work less on this or faster on this, but also do a good job. And that's where, like, as an employee, you're like, the, what the what the fuck do you want me to do? You want me to work? Do you want to do it? You want it to be good? Or it's, good takes time, but you don't want to give up time because that means you have to charge more, which you might have some friction with your client. So what is it? That's the problem with time and material. And as a solo, as a solo freelancer, you are, you're basically telling your client, uh, I think it's going to cost this much, but we'll see. The risk is on you, the client. So, you know, some clients may not want that. They may not want that risk. So they instead say, you know, kind of a maybe they say like the next evolution is the second pricing model, which are deliverables. Deliverables is a kind of a fixed thing. I'm going to deliver a video. I'm going to deliver a 30 second video. You will receive a three minute mini documentary with five 30 second Instagram ads or whatever you want to call it. That's a deliverable. I'm going to give you, uh, you know, wedding photographers do this too. I'm going to give you 300 images. I'm going to give you 250 images. You will get six prints. It's, uh, it's a very tangible thing. It's kind of, if we're not, if time isn't a variable, if we're not so worried about time, let's kind of, let's maybe just focus on the thing you're actually after. Uh, and maybe that's something you try to uncover with your client. What are you actually after? Um, when you hire a web developer, you don't want to just hire a web web developer. You want a finished website. So that's the that would be the deliverable. So that's kind of where you that's the next evolution. You kind of like okay, so you know one video. Uh, we think so as you you as the service provider, you say I'm going to give you one video. Uh, we're going to charge you $3,000 for that video, and all the risk is on us, the firm, the agency, the freelancer, because we now have to make sure that we come way under $3,000. Like, there cannot be any slip-ups. There cannot be any screw-ups with this $3,000. Like, you have, this is, and this is the justification for why you need timesheets, and you have to understand how long something takes. I say, use timesheets as a, here's, here's something. Don't use timesheets to price your work, but use timesheets to help you better manage your projects. But do not take that data from the managed projects and use it to adjust or fix your prices. Don't use it with just strictly as a productivity tool. Do not use timesheets if you use timesheets or tracking your time. I used to track my time as a freelancer and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Track it if you want to see how much you work on something or see how long something takes you to work to do so you can but do not people are so quick it's such an easy bridge to cross to say all right i thought this was going to take me 10 hours it took me five hours therefore video editing i need to estimate that at five hours and then price that based on five hours don't don't cross that bridge just use it strictly as a productivity tool so, so going back to deliverables, all the risk is on you, the video production company, to make sure that you are selling and making a video for under 3000 If you make a video, if we got to reshoot, if the shoot gets delayed, if we we mismanaged or we uh, the scope got blown up and now they want After Effects or now they want 3D rendering or an animation sequence at the very beginning, okay, that what we thought was going to be some profit has now eroded into nothing and we're almost going to lose money on this. So, or we might lose money on this now because, or so that's, that's where all the risk is. So the client can just demand all they want. The client can push you around. They can bully you. And with that, with impunity almost because 
it's on you, the service provider, the freelancer, to push back and say, no, we agree to this. You said one video for uh, for 30 seconds. This video is 60 seconds now. This is not what we agreed to. That's And it's like, it's on the firm to kind of babysit the situation and make sure that that the scope doesn't go over $3,000, for example, um, and then you're no longer profitable. So now that moves on to the third and final, maybe not the third and final, but a third pricing model that that pricing creativity by Blair Inns talks about is value-based pricing. So what is value-based pricing? Value-based pricing is kind of based on the value that you're going to provide the client after you've after they've worked with you, after they had an engagement with you, you are kind of basing your value, your work, not on time, not on materials, not on the cost of a rental or how much it's going to cost you to outsource this. It's all just based on the value that you're going to provide the client. And so for an example, like a client, if we work with you and if we do a great job at this, your product sales will increase from $100,000 to $150,000. So for an example, this is not a hard number. This don't, I used to think this, nope, what am I this number right here. I just get my mouse. I used to think this was like a hard number. But for example, you say, okay, 20% of, you know, you you went from $100,000 to $150,000 based on the work we did. Or we made such a great video for you that you drove way more sales, you converted way more, and your sales went up by what is that? Fifty percent and fifty percent increase. So we want uh, we want some cream off the top of that fifty thousand extra dollars you just made from working with us. Because before you were just making a hundred thousand dollars, now you're making one fifty. We think we deserve, based on our work, based on the value we can provide, we want twenty percent of that extra money that you make. And now here is the nice part where the risk is shared that. You, the service provider, have to work your ass off or make sure that this project is successful because if it's successful, you will reap the benefits from it. And if and the client wants you to do a good job and the client is cooperative and wants this to be a positive outcome because they want to solve the problem. They want to, for in this example, they want to increase their sales. So if they increase their sales, then then great. It's It's kind of a win-win. So this is where, and there's no moral problems here there's no ethical problems you're not having to lie or fudge any numbers or pretend like you worked more or inflate your cost here or uh char- instead of charging a hundred dollar rent camera rental fee you're now charging a thousand dollars just to increase your profit or something this is instead of saying like hey the the proof is in the pudding let's if we do a good job for you if we gain a thousand followers for you if we um rank your website at number one, then we want something. We want a piece of that. We want a piece of that. You can do a revenue share. You can do a profit share. You can do equity. It, it doesn't have to, it, or you can just say, hey, we want a cash base off this or like we want some percentage of what, you know, the we, this would not happen without us. And we want, like I said, we want some cream off the top. And this is where the kind of mind fuck. So like, Take a screenshot of this next, because this is a little bit, and I'll, I'll move my little mouse man, my little human head out of the way. So take a screenshot of this. This is, this little chart right here that I'm about to show you changes everything, or it really changes how, like, what I just said kind of makes sense, but once you see this chart, you're like, oh, shit. So take a screenshot of this right now. Here we go. This is cost-based pricing. Down here is value-based pricing. So the difference is that cost-based pricing starts with, and I'll make sure I say this right. It starts with the product, and then it goes to. Now I got at the. This is I had to make sure I say this correctly. I got to make sure I say this correctly. So let me look at this. So cost-based pricing starts with your product. We have a $2,000 wedding package that we're trying to sell. Okay, you want to sell it for $2,000. Okay, how much does it cost for you to sell or to put together a $2,000 wedding package? Okay, well, after it all is said and done, we're going to make... 
Oh, excuse me. See, I already messed it up. I already messed this up. Let me start. Let me start over. Let me start over. I'm sorry. So with cost-based pricing, you say, okay, we have a wedding photography package. This is what we do. We're going to do uh, 250 prints. We're going to work for eight hours. We're going to do six prints after this. We're going to we're going to give you a frame photo, a photo album. That's our product. That's our that's our wedding package. Then you look at that that wedding package and say, okay, uh, how much does it cost to do 250 digital prints and to do six frames? And how much does it cost your time to work eight hours? And how much does it cost to drive to the wedding? And how much does it cost for you're always thinking about all the cost? How, what's the what's and you're adding all that up together? And then based on all that, so you know whatever cameras a thousand driving is a hundred bucks it's you know the prints are 400 bucks okay then you just start adding up everything and then that's where you and then say okay let's add 20 percent profit and you're like that's our price and then you start to think about okay that's our price uh, you know that's our two thousand dollar wedding package let's uh now like how do we sell this thing how do we add some value to it or like how do we make clients value this two thousand dollar thing then you start to uh try to pump it up or have some kind of weird conversation or you do some sort of marketing to kind of pump up the value and then you start to go and look for clients who will buy this product and that so and then and you haven't even involved like the client is involved in the very last part of this so that you you can think about video production you think about wedding packages so like your wedding photographer you'd say like i i sell wedding photography i'm doing this eight hours and you and 250 digital prints six regular prints a photo album i'm going to sell it for this and it's going to be two thousand dollars okay now let's go find some customers to buy this two thousand dollar thing and you never asked the client anything you never asked if the client wanted that if they wanted you there for eight hours if they want 250 digital prints do they really want an album do, can they afford two thousand dollars and that that's that's the kind of issue with cost-based pricing. So with value-based pricing, it flips the entire script. It flips the entire way that you do things. Instead of starting with the product and say, okay, we sell wedding photography, or in my case, a lot of times we sell, I sell video production. Instead, you're saying, okay, what does the client need? Let's talk to the client first. So we got the client in the room and they say, Okay, yeah, they need uh they need a they they saw that their this comp their competitor has a video and they want to do a video too and they want it to be 3 minutes long and they think and they watch this nice documentary and they like documentaries so they want uh you know in okay, may, and then we talk more. Okay, maybe they really need a, a video, maybe they just have an issue with their sales process or maybe they just need instead of a documentary, now that we're talking to them more, they actually need uh, a trailer on the on the broad end of their funnel, and that's going to get more leads to them to have more conversations with their customers. Okay, ah, oh, okay. So if we were now, you start to think about okay, the, we find the client who they need some marketing help now, and then we start to think of what value could we provide them. They say they have a, a conversion issue. They say they uh, people go to their website some, but they don't really have that. You know, they're just not able to get people to the cart to convert. Okay. So now let's think, okay, well we can help them. Now you're starting to, let me, let me get my little face back in here. So you start to think, okay, you know, the value, what value can we provide? All right. We can do video production. We can do marketing. We can do marketing strategy. We can do, we can help them uh, conduct interviews with their customers to figure out what is the issue. And you kind of go on and on. You kind of figure that's the value. we can. Okay. So if we were to do all that, if we were to kind of create that value for them, what, how much should we charge for that? Okay. Uh, you know, if we did like a Facebook campaign for them and kind of help build their funnel and did a nice like video trailer at the beginning. Uh, yeah, I think we charge like $10,000 for this. Okay. Okay, $10,000. So you got $10,000 budget. All right, now, can you figure out how much it's going to cost for us to achieve that value? And then you, that's when you start to figure out, okay, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, it could cost this. 
we can maybe do this. And then you start to think about, once you figure out the cost, then you start to think about the product and the thing you're actually going to do. So the service or the product that you sell is the last thing that you think about, as opposed to the product is the first thing. Like, I'm a, I'm a baker. Everybody wants diet sugar-free cookies. Therefore, I'm going to go, I'm going to make diet sugar-free cookies, figure out how much to get my cost down, to set a price, and then go find some clients. And instead, I say, well, do they really want diet sugar-free cookies? I talked to some clients, talked to some customers. They don't want diet sugar-free cookies. They want uh, just a healthier alternative to, you know, a less sweet cookie or they want a less sweet cake. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, what value can we provide? So the, 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 what I love about it is you're really thinking about the client first. You're really thinking about what the client is going through, what their problems are. You think about what you can provide them, not thinking about what you can do for them. That's, that would be your product. When I say what you can provide for them, uh, you can provide insight. You can, okay, what if we increase your conversion rate from 10% to 25%? That's, that's a va- value you can add to their firm, to their company. And then you, and then this is the weird part. Instead of saying like, okay, it, uh, shooting a photo cost, uh, my camera costs a thousand, my rent is 1500. That factors in my time is worth this. You're like, think instead of thinking all the costs, you say, what can we do for $5,000 or what can we do for $2,000? If you told me I have to shoot a wedding, I would say, okay, let's figure out what value we can provide. And then I'd say, all right, the price the price you want me to do is 2000 Okay, that's our price. Now let's go and figure out what what we can do within two thousand dollars. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a, a wedding photo. It doesn't have to be on a high end camera. It can be on a Polaroid. It can be on we can we can reduce the cost or make the cost fit within the price that we've set. But you're not you're not letting the cost drive the price. Oh, I live in a rural area, so my rent isn't that expensive, and I have a cheap camera, and I drive a cheap car, and gas is cheap, so my cost is pretty low. Therefore, I can set my prices lower. You know, if I was in New York City, my cost would be way higher, so that way my price has to be much higher. See, it's like that's that's backwards because you wouldn't do the opposite. So instead. You've, this is the beautiful part. So I'm I'm lingering too much on this, but this this is where kind of this is like the heart of it all. Where it just totally flips the script on how you price your work. Instead of thinking about what you're going to sell or who you're going to sell it to, or sorry, what you're going to sell or how you're going to render the service, you're instead thinking about the client first and what their needs are and what their problems that they're facing. Which I think is great. I think it's more ethical, and I think it leads to a better, more profitable engagement with their clients. So let's go to the rule book. So the, in the final part of the book, uh, it kind of goes through all the concepts of pricing. Now let's talk about some of the rules that come with pricing creativity. So rule number one is price the client, not the job. Which, if you read this, and if you're unfamiliar with these concepts, sounds like price discrimination. It sounds like and it is. And there's nothing wrong with price discrimination. You should be charging your clients different prices based on what they need. Because some clients don't value the services that you offer as much as other clients. And you should charge more for the people that value you more. Like that, It's a symbiotic relationship with the price and the value and how much of an impact you can make with your, with your clients. Yes, it is. So rule number one, price the client, not the job. The, it should not be everybody does not value a wedding videography package. Everyone does not value a wedding photography package the same. People who aren't getting married don't want to pay a lot for a wedding photography package, if at all, because it's not valuable to them. But a bride who's 10 weeks out from their wedding, they'll pay some good money. But a bride who is wor- who is their wedding is tomorrow and their photographer dropped out, they're willing to pay a lot more because it's more valuable to them than it was to the person 10 weeks ago. We talked about this with airlines. It's the Everyone's going on the same... Dis- uh, airlines do price discrimination. Everyone's flying on the same plane, going to the same place, but everyone in each individual seat basically paid a different price based on their needs and what they valued it at. I didn't need it. I bought these tickets 10 weeks ago. I bought this ticket this morning. Who's going to pay a different price? It's so you price a client, not the job. 
Do not just have con- just like template prices where it's always the same. Every job, let me send you my price sheet. Let me send you my price sheet. My prices are always the same because every client is the same. That's, I mean, I think that's rude to say every client. If you price every job the same, that means you're saying every client is the same, which I think is rude because that's like just saying, you know, it's just a broad generalization. People value different things differently. Rule number two is to offer options, at least three. We talk about this in the perfect wedding package that there you have to offer options. We we like choice. We like to, if we want to do a value-based pricing option, if and say, hey, if I can increase your revenue by ten thousand dollars, I want twenty percent. I I can give you that option. Or if you just want to pay a flat rate, we can do that too. Here's option two, here's option one, here's option three. Give them some options. You need to think like a SaaS company. You need to think like Every other, you know, when you go to that pricing page and, you know, on the software that you're about to download or the subscription you're about to get, they always have, you know, options. Rule number three is to anchor high. That means set your prices. That means set your prices higher or in the conversations that you do or in the prices that you present, anchor high. Raise your rates as high as you can for some options. Uh, because the idea behind an anchor is that the first we cannot ignore the first bit of information that we are given. So if I told you fifty thousand dollars, and then I told you about my two thousand dollar wedding package, and then I told you about my ninety seven dollar perfect wedding package thing you can get, then it's like okay, yeah, then you, but you still got fifty thousand dollars in your mind, even though I told you it's just a, an irrelevant number. But so saying a high price is how we're going to push the price and conversation higher and higher in your favor as opposed to saying like, well, I start at $100 and then I go up to $10,000. And you go, okay, well, let's stick, let's start to say, hey, folks, let's just stick around the $100 mark because you said that number first. Rule number four, say a price before you show a price. This means that you have to, in some form or fashion, verbally, not on email, Verbally in a meeting, Zoom call, face to face, say, I'm going to, I'm going to put together one of these options. I'm going to put together a $5,000 option and I'll send it to you. How does that sound? Engage that reaction. That doesn't mean you have to, like, as long as one of the options has at least $5,000, that's fine because they're expecting it because you want to gauge that reaction. Because if they, if you say a price and they, that's too expensive, then now you know to lower your proposal. That means you need to lower your price sheet. If they say, yeah, that's fine. $5,000 option. Okay. Yeah. Let's, I want, I'm curious what, what it, what comes with it. So then you're like, okay, maybe we'll put a $5,000 option as the low end and we'll push it up to $20,000. Boom, boom. The proposal is the word. This is a great quote from the book. The proposal is the words, or maybe it's, uh, are the words that come out of your mouth. It's a contract. A proposal is not a PDF. It's not a con. It's not a email. See attached. It's a con. It's a. I'm gonna charge you ten thousand dollars. How does that sound? Great. Good. You that works for you. Okay. I'll send over the paperwork. That's 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 your proposal. Rule number five: Master the value conversation. And this is the hardest thing to do. You need to figure out. What problems you're trying to solve, or how you can go about solving these problems in your, uh, you know, you need to figure out how you can solve these problems with your clients, uncovering the problems, asking the right questions, asking the right why questions that expose the thing you're actually, you know, you don't need a web, new website, you don't need a new video, you need a better way to talk to your clients, or you need this new, you just need to change some of the copy, or the website is confusing. You don't really need a new video. That's, that's you know, that's thinking like, that's mastering the value conversation. It takes time, it, it just, it's tough. It's tough, but you can do it. You can figure this out. How to ma- it's, it's instead of just saying, don't just stop at the first thing that they sell you. When they say, like, we need a video. Don't just say, okay, great. Need a video? Cool. Because what if I went to my doctor and said, uh, my knee hurts. I, you know, or, like, I think I'm having a heart attack. Give me medicine. Like, are you really having a heart attack? I was like, well, no, I'm not really having a heart attack. Just my, my chest is kind of tight. Oh, okay. Your chest is kind of tight. Yeah, I'm ch- my chest is kind of tight, and I'm like kind of sore, and like I had a slight cough. Like, okay, so you're not having a heart attack, but if 
But if you were just a a doctor who just took their word and said, "Oh, you need to you're having a heart attack. Here's heart attack medicine. Let's get you, you know, let's put a stent in you. Let's run it for, you know, whatever they got to do for a heart attack." It's like the same way with your clients, you have to push back a little bit and say like, "Is this what you really want? Are you sure this is what you're talking about? Is this what you you say you want a video? Do you you mean like uh an Instagram stories video? Do you mean you just want to do like and have an influencer do an Instagram story, or you are talking about like you want a YouTube video that's five minutes long, or a website video? What do you, yeah, just like you need to figure that out. Next, so yeah, so rem- this is critical to your business, and this is rule number five: remain. You need to remain in that practitioner position, not the vendor. So a lot the problem with a lot of photographers and a lot of videographers, and I've been in this position, that you become the vendor. You become because vendors are replaceable. The DJ, the catering company, the florist are all vendors. Very replaceable in a lot of situations. You would not really know one wedding DJ from the other or one florist from the other, but we and and a lot of times one photographer from the other and the in what that's kind of living in commodity world and we want to become a specialized good a specialized service so that we are we cater to a very specific target audience where only you know people value the only clients that we work for are the people that truly value what we have to offer and then hang on let me minimize this And then rule number six, limit this. This is great. This sometimes doesn't apply. This obviously doesn't apply to a lot of weddings, but limit your unpaid proposals to one page. Because uh, I have personally done this. I have submitted RFPs to municipal county places where I say, hey, you know, you need to send like you must send us a 40 page proposal with three original video ideas, a full breakdown of your financials, a full breakdown of your team concepts photos, mock-ups, and it has to be 12-point font, and it has to be Times New Roman, and you have to print out two copies and put it in two separate mailers, and they has to be mailed before the 5th, and they have to arrive before the 9th, and these have to be first-class mail, and it has to arrive to this person specifically. All that stuff, you wouldn't fucking believe it. All that all that stuff is part of a proposal. Uh, it's part of an, you know, uh, replying to an RFP, and then, and then you have to come in. If you are, if you are then top three candidates you must come in and pitch your idea to the board and it's like all that work all six weeks of work potentially 10 weeks of work just for something that's unpaid something that may not you may not win the job and they and then a lot of these cases they want to limit your profit so if it's unpaid if i say like they want you to send tell just kind of keep it to one page and just one to like, I just usually do a price sheet. I just say like, here are the three options. Here's what we can do, and have a conversation over the phone while we walk through the price sheet, the one page proposal. Do not worry. Like, just don't talk about the team dog or your life story. It's like, don't waste time writing these big fat ten page proposals. Not big fat, big ten page proposals, twenty page, thirty page proposals. Thinking you had to put everything into it, original concepts, and not be paid. Because we aren't in the proposal writing business, we are in the creative services business, we are in the photography business, we are in the video production business, so don't convince, just facilitate. Don't, don't, this is, this is what this book talks about here, you know, when without pitching, the core concept of the book is to avoid pitching at all costs, not, not to be anti-pitching, but just say, I don't want to pitch my original concepts or give you or waste time thinking of original concepts to stand in front and do the little dog and pony show and show you how cool and show you our demo reel uh, in front. Like, we don't do that. I don't pitch. I don't, I'm not here to gravel or grovel. I'm not here to suck up to you and make you, please, please hire us. We are the best, you know, like we'll lower. It's like, that's, you're in a losing position. And that's where you become replaceable and fungible. 
And instead, you want to restate why you're there with your clients. This is all part of the value conversation. You want to restate why you're there, you know, the desired future state. What If we were to achieve this goal, if we were to solve the problem that you're facing today, what would the future look like? One year from now, two years from now, five years from now, we look back and say, hey, I'm, we solved this problem. We kicked ass at it. What is it? What does the company look like now? What are the metrics? What are the numbers? Are we trying to increase subscribers? Pay, you know, what numbers can we attach to it somehow? The dollar amount, the web traffic, the an- amount of product we're pushing off the shelves, the value that comes with that metric. And then you have to walk through the options that, uh, that you give them in your proposal, in your price sheet. Yeah, so that's it. I was gonna go to the do an appendix with the win without pitching. I'll I'll show you. Uh, no, we'll do this. We'll do this another day. So yeah, let's get that kind of wraps it up, folks. So yeah, so that kind of presentation almost got me fired, and um, I hope that kind of cleared up some things. So let's kind of do a recap. Let's kind of go through some things uh, with just to make sure that you kind of got everything that there is to get, because that was a pretty dense, uh, we're now been going an hour and a half, so almost an hour and a half. And so that was a pretty dense uh, presentation. And uh, let's, so to review, so there is the fighting friction that is innovation versus efficiency. There's always going to be that friction. Do you want to go into R&D? You want to go into trial and error? Uh, new ideas, new ways to do video production, new ways to shoot a wedding, all those kind of innovative ideas, they can lead to extremely profitable new ideas, new avenues, or even new business models. But with that, you have to find a new market. So if you're at an old status quo company, they want to keep it very efficient. They want to instead focus on time tracking, reducing cost, uh, increasing their uh, not increasing their price or the, or changing their prices, but like save more of their revenue. It's kind of the idea of like, instead of earning more money, like think of like a household income, instead of earning more money, you really focus on like drinking less Starbucks and you're not going out as much. It's, 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 it's a way to improve what you have left, but the better way is to just add more money from the top and increase your gross revenue. And you only and you can only choose one. We talked about the kind of difference between customized service firms, productized service firms, and you can take a screenshot right there. I will eliminate my face from this. Take a little screenshot of that if you'd like. All right. And back to me. Gonna get me off the corner. Thank you. We went over three different pricing models. That was time and materials, which all just, you know, you figure out your day rate, how much time it's going to take, the expenses that are associated with the you doing the job, your rent, your camera expenses, your insurance, liabilities, all that stuff. And then you add that up, and the, but the risk is on the client. And so then you evolve to do, like, maybe let's do deliverables. Let's just charge a flat fee. I'm going to give you a 30-second video. It's going to I'm going to charge you $3,000, but the risk in that scenario, it's on the firm, it's on you, the freelance videographer or or service provider, to make sure that you do not go over $3,000 on, on the expense side uh, and don't fall into scope creep. So then the third one is value-based. That's value-based pricing. And you really kind of focus on the value that you can provide a client and, the, and reaping the benefits of this kind of mutual engagement that the two of you had. If we can increase your sales, we want a little bit of cream off the top. I think it's fair that we take 20% of the increased sales. You know, maybe you only went from 100000 to 110000 Well, we want 20% of that. And the, and the amount that you take or the amount of cream, I keep saying the cream off the top, the amount of percentage is based on the risk factor that or the the it's the risk factor within yourself or the confidence that you have in delivering that like if if you can deliver and say i know 100% for a goddamn fact that we can increase your revenue $50,000 then you can charge 80 to 90% of that $50,000 if you are not so confident then you would might say okay let's take we'll take 5% of that increased number and they'll say, yeah, sure. So it's that's all based on your risk and your confidence, your ability to deliver 
the value that you have proposed that you're going to provide. This is an insanely revolutionary way of looking at things. Instead of starting with a product, not asking any clients and figuring out, okay, how much does it cost for us to make a video or shoot a wedding? How, then let's figure out, then let's attach a price to it artificially. And then let's figure out how we can add some value to this. And then let's go find the clients. And instead, doing value based pricing, you say, let's start with a client. Let's figure out what, they, what their problems are, what their needs are. Uh, let's figure out what value we can offer them. Then we'll set the price. And then with that price set, we'll figure out our cost to make sure we keep under that price. And then let's figure out what we're actually going to do for them. This is kind of like selling. I love this because this is almost like you, you are selling the plane as you are flying down the runway or you're building the plane as it's taking off or something like that. Uh, the rule books, you know, rule number one, price the client, not the job. Offer options, think like a SaaS company. Rule number three, anchor high. Rule number four, where'd you go? Say a price before you show a price. Rule number five, master the value conversation. And then rule number six, limit your unpaid proposals to one page. Do not waste time writing big-ass proposals to people who aren't going to pay you for it. That concludes the presentation on pricing your creative work. I hope that made sense. I hope you, by looking at this, that you have a better understanding of how you were pricing your work. Maybe you were doing time and materials. Maybe you realize you're doing a deliverables where you're just doing a flat rate. Um, and you said, hey, there's got to be something different. And then you're like, wait a minute, value-based pricing. I kind of did something like that one time. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Like a revenue share or profit sharing. Yes, something like that, something where it's mutually beneficial, where there's not this constant friction between you and the client saying like the risk is on all on them or the risk is all on you and said, find a way where you can have a mutually beneficial, a win-win scenario, and like a win-win-win, like a Blair N calls it the double thank you scenario where you say, where you say thank you to the client and they say thank you to you. It's like that it, it's not win-win is kind of that's I, I, that's 80s term so just say you know the double thank you is that's the scenario you want to be in so i hope that kind of cleared things up for you guys uh or at the very best inspired you or made you reflect on how you're pricing your work i think it's so critical that you get your pricing down it's it 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 doesn't have to feel like this financial guru accounting uh mumbo jumbo it's some it's really something that if you understand your business and you understand the value you can offer clients, that's all it is. It's just figuring that out and then attaching a price and attaching something uh, that the client is going to say yes to and mastering the value conversation so that they understand what you're putting on the table, what, what you're putting forth on the table in front of them, and then saying, here's option one, here's option two, here's option three. How does this sound? And you go, yeah, this sounds pretty good. And then that's where you can increase your profits and increase that breathing room, invest in yourself, have a more enriched life in your business as an entrepreneur, as a creative service provider, as a wedding photographer. And that is where we're gonna where we're gonna stick it off. And I, and of course, real quick, go to the perfect wedding package where we talk about all these concepts. If you're curious about raising your prices, increasing your profit, and we're going to we're gonna double our revenue in 2021. That's my goal. That's my goal for this, and I'm hoping that if you take the perfect wedding package that you'll be able to double your revenue in 2021, check it out. It's risk-free. If you don't like any of it, you give me a call, send me an email, send me a message and say, Jordan, I didn't like this or I didn't, I, this isn't worth the price that I paid for. I want a refund. And I say, no problem. Refund on the spot. The risk is on me. The risk is never on you with my products. So the perfectweddingpackage.com, go check it out. No pushing, no obligation, just a, just a, just browse. Thank you guys for watching. My name is Jordan Anderson, and I'll see you on the next one.